You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Tuesday, August the 22nd, bright here in TW11 this morning, as it is in York, and set fair, it seems, for the first couple of days of York's Ebor Festival. We told you yesterday on the programme why Desert Crown would not be running in the Judmont International, why he was unlikely ever to run again because he had sustained a very serious injury on the gallops at the weekend. And that meant he was operated on yesterday in Newmarket. And our fingers are firmly crossed that he comes through the next few critical post-operative days. Just after we finished yesterday's podcast, the declarations were confirmed for the Judmont International. There are just four of them. That's the smallest field since See the Stars beat three Ballydoyle inmates in 2009. Prior to that, four went to post in the year that Singspiel beat a stellar field, including Bosra Sham, in 1997. So you can have a good race with few runners, but it's another big contest that is sparsely contested. James Brennan, the head of marketing and sponsorship at York, expressed his disappointment as to the size of the field, whilst also stressing that it can still be a great spectacle. Is he right to be disappointed, Cornelius Lysett, or is this just one of those things? Well, perhaps we could be doing better, but size isn't everything. Uh, you've clearly got Paddington, one of the most progressive and exciting horses that there's been for a bit. Uh, you've got a horse in Mostadaf who comes to uh, uh, to York off the back of a, a pretty astonishing uh, performance at Ascot. And you've got Nashmire as well. So I, th- I think you sort of can't have everything in that here we've got an excellent horse race. We've got four outstanding jockeys who are going to be involved in what will be probably quite a tactical uh, sort of affair. It's not ideal betting-wise for, for, the, for the world pool. You'd, you'd like more. However, not disastrous from a, a, a world pool point of view. I, I, I think you can't entirely have your cake and eat it. In 2009, which is probably the most memorable Judmont International Quite. That, that, I, that I can recall, I'm a, an absolutely absorbing race. You had effectively ballyed oil with three horses, one serious one and two pacemakers, trying to beat See the Stars in what was reminiscent of a, a cycling pursuit race. It was it was just mesmerising. So you're right. Your point that you don't need many horses to make a, a good race is, is a correct one. And going further back to that uh, race that I think Frankie Dettori won on on Singspiel, there were only four runners, and and Bosra Sham was in there, and it was a it was a wonderful race. So you don't need too many to make a good race. I think it's more a wider point, isn't it? If you have four in the Judmont International, it figures that you probably had more in some of the other big races during the season. If you only have a small field in the Eclipse, it figures you might get more in the Judmont International. If you have a small, thin King George, the other races might feel better. Now, this year we have had 10 in the King George. We only had four in the Coral Eclipse and we only had four in the Judmont International. Now, of the 10 horses that ran in the King George, not a single one comes forward to this race. Not one. Pile driver was the nearest that we got, and only Paddington from the Coral Eclipse comes forward to the Judmont International. So, out of those two great marquee races, the Eclipse and the King George, only two horses have come forward to the Judmont International. 
and one further one from the Prince of Wales is the Group 1 at Ascot. And none of those that were in behind Mostadaf on that occasion. You could have had Adair in here. He's been retired. Luxembourg, I don't know what he's doing at the moment. Bay Bridge, well, the ground's considered a bit too quick for him. And my Prospero hasn't really passed muster at the top level the way that his connections thought he would. Pile drivers' connections have decided to, to give it a swerve. So, yeah, I, I just wonder, Cornelius... Is the cupboard just running a little bit bare in terms of good horses and potential opponents to, to Paddington? I look at the Shadwell horses. We could have had Al Flayler in here, but he's not going here because he was only in here as a substitute for, for Mostadaf. Anne Mart is injured, serious pedal bone injury. He might never race again. He'll certainly be out for the rest of this season. And Hookham, they're saving him for the arc. So again, we've got that issue of a lot of good horses in quite few uh, hands ownership hands it was always thus to an extent wasn't it um but it seems to be particularly emphasized on on this occasion if you actually look at the these runners there's, there's no one making up numbers aren't there and you started this whole this whole segment by saying are we excited about the international stakes mm, and the fact that, that we are. are are we beating ourselves up and looking deeper than you know overthinking the whole thing but i think at this stage it's it's possible to look and consider and still enjoy what we have. Incidentally, just before we before we leave this alone for the time being, for what it's worth, and I was sent this yesterday by a, a listener. Fifth prize in the Judmont was going to be twenty six thousand nine hundred, and sixth prize was going to be thirteen thousand five hundred. So you'd have got your money back for for running mm. six. It cost twelve and a half grand to stand the ground at the different entry stages. You only got to be rated eighty or higher, but. I'm not saying prize money is not important at this level. Of course it is, as as William Darby and James Brennan have been explaining the last few days and why the prize pot is so big. But owners are not going to be motivated at this level by fifth prize for 26 and a half grand when they've got, you know, potential targets for two, three, four hundred down the track. Correct. And, um, you know, so there are a, a, a number of, of different things to take into account. But ultimately, I I don't think we need to... To beat ourselves up about it uh, too much, but uh, because we still have a uh, a fantastic race between four, uh, well, one couple of potentially absolutely outstanding horses. You know, one of them is joint uh, the joint second highest rated horse in the world at the moment in uh, Mustadaf, along with Hookham, and that just demonstrates part of the uh, part of the discussion here. Also, owned by the same people. Well, as we touched on very briefly yesterday, it's a very big week at York for Wathnan Racing. The racing uh, concern that has burgeoned over the last few months and is headed by the uh, Emir of Qatar, Sheikh Tamim. Uh, Richard Brown is responsible for many of the racing interests that take place on on these shores. He's also been busy in, in Deauville at the sales over the last few days. Uh, and the, the Wathnan colours are going to be much in evidence on the Knavesmire, courtesy of Courage Mon Ami, the Gold Cup winner, Gregory, who runs in the Voltager tomorrow, Ballymount Boy, also Isaac Shelby's in the city of York at the weekend. Uh, Richard, the team is is taking quite nice shape. Since we last spoke at Ascot, how many more have you, have you added off the top of your head? Uh... None, I don't. Oh, one, <laughs> Ballymount Boy. Um, yeah, just Ballymount Boy. So, um, yeah, we've we've currently only got, I think we've got 11 in training. Mm-hmm. Uh, it probably seems like more than that, but um, it is, it's just 11. So um, four of the 11 are hopefully going to 
run at York. Or three, three of the eleven are definite, um, are, are definitely going to go. And then I'm just waiting. Um, I'm just waiting to hear back on a workout from Isaac Shelby this morning as to whether he's going to go. I mean, do you, do you fancy going to the the seven furlong group two with him? It's a very valuable race, isn't it? But I see he's got the Haydock Park Spring Cup entry as well. Yeah, I think we're going to stick to seven with him at this stage. He's always strong at the line. I think next year will be his year. We've always said that he's a he's a tall, unfurnished horse by a son of Dubawi, and they you know they usually get better with age. So I think this year we'll be we'll be sticking to seven, probably with a view to going back up next year. Look, we've got to take on Kim Ross again. He beat us at Goodwood, but we, you know we gave him a, a good run for his money. Uh, I think if. Um, you know, if Brian's happy this morning, yeah, I think I think we are uh, keen to have another crack. It, like I say, it looks a good race. Sacred's in there. She obviously ran very well at Ascot, so uh, it looks a good renewal. But we're uh, we're game on to have another go. Courage Monami's run in the in the Goodwood Cup was an interesting one because nothing got into the race behind Quickthorn. How highly do you rate his chances of bridging that gap and returning to his Ascot form? The honest answer is I don't know. Um, when we bought him before Ascot, he wasn't he wasn't bought to win the Ascot Gold Cup. He was bought as a nice staying prospect who would hopefully be around for a few seasons and would be progressive. He obviously went into Ascot. Um, he went into Ascot unbeaten, but he had to step up enormously to do what he did, um, and that was a tremendous performance. Goodwood was a bit of a non-event for those in behind him, and it was a brilliant ride. And you know, quick thorn on his day is 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 very very dangerous from the front as we know um so the honest answer is i don't know we'd love to see him again in a sort of more normal if you like in a more normal race but the plan is for him to go and we look look forward to seeing him run again right do you, okay this is a, a slightly unfair question but i'm going to ask it anyway uh do you think that gregory who you run in tomorrow's great voltager do you think fundamentally he is a more talented horse than courage mon ami again i don't know because um you know, Courage has run, run four times, uh, five times, and one of them you can slightly put a line through, and Gregory's obviously only run three times. Gregory is a big horse, and he's very unfurnished. And, you know, as you can see, we've minded him from um, from Ascot to here, and, you know, the big aim will be the St. Ledger. I think he's only going to get better and better with age. Um, he'll improve massively physically from three to four, I think. And, you know, look, being by Golden Horn, his progeny obviously get better. And the dam is, um, you know, the dam got better with age. So I think everything points to the fact that he will be better. And I think he is a very talented horse. Is he better? I don't know. I think I think comparing them is probably uh, a very a very hard thing to do. Um, Adrian Keatley, I spoke to yesterday on the podcast. He was pretty confident about Ballymount Boy in the in the Acom Stakes tomorrow. There are a lot of nice two year olds out there, and a lot of them that have Group Race form. Why did you buy this one? Um, well, actually, it was um, so Van Dijk that won the race. I um, I bid a lot of money on at the breeze up, so I thought he was probably as good a breeze up horse, or one of the better breeze up horses we'd seen this year. And then it obviously followed him. He ran him to a length uh, in the Richmond. He missed the break. He was still green in behind. Looked like he'd be screaming out for another furlong, and that a flat track would probably help him. Um, so I just thought he was a horse that would improve with another furlong, uh, you know, and, and flat track. I sort of had this race in mind when we were buying him. It was obviously great to see Van Dijk come out and win the morning on uh, Sunday. That made us feel slightly better about the purchase. But look, this is always a, you know, this usually turns up a top class performer. I was very impressed with Charlie Hills, the horse. 
Uh, he won at Newbury, cogitate him on the novice at Newbury and look good. And Aiden's bringing over um, it, over one. You've always got to be you know wary of those. So it, it does look um, it, it it looks tough, but uh, yeah, I've spoke to Adrian. He seems very happy with the horse, and um, yeah, look, we're looking forward to running it. And um, we'll end this where we started because you talked about Isaac Shelley being a, a son of a son of Dubawi. That son of a son was Knight of Thunder. And you were at Deauville, um spending quite a bit of money on a, a night of thunder as well. Six sixty thousand euros for uh, a horse out of Dubai Rose from Ecurie de des Monceaux. You were eulogising about this colt afterwards. It's almost almost to the point where I thought you might have thought six sixty was a bargain. Well, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of the stallion. Um, I, I think I think most people are, but I think Dave, some people, you know, oh, is he doing enough? I think this horse is going to explode. Um, I've sent a lot of clients' mares to him over the last two or three seasons. I bought, I buy as many as I can by him. I'm sort of all in on Night of Thunder. Um, yeah, look, he was a, he was a smashing colt. Um, again, quite a not a dissimilar type to Isaac Shelby in that he was a tall horse, still a little bit unfurnished and a little bit narrow. We're actually going to turn him back out. The field now for two months just to just to let him furnish, and he'll be given plenty of time to mature. But yeah, I uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of that stallion. I particularly enjoyed the Racing Post write-up. Brown had been spotted inspecting yearlings with members of the Wathnan Racing Team, but remained tight-lipped over the identity of the Knight of Thunder Colts' new owner. Do you do you enjoy do you enjoy the the element of subterfuge that goes with being a bloodstock agent? Not really, no. It's not really my scene, but um, I, uh, I I can't say much more about who it was for at this stage. Uh, Richard, thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much, Nick. And Cornelius is still with me. I mean, Cornelius, when you look at that great voltager, do you do you see it as Gregory's race to lose, or is it a bit more complex and nuanced than that with with big runners from from Ballydoyle and Godolphin? Well, Castle Way is an intriguing uh, contender in a year which hasn't been a memorable year for Godolphin. This horse hasn't done. Uh, anything wrong and it'd be fascinating to see if that one can progress again personally i've i've always loved continuous third in the uh, dante chased home king of steel at royal ascot and has long been on on a st ledger shortlist but team Gosden has a particularly good record in the race with frankie de Tory in recent years logician en route to the st ledger uh, cracksman on en route to the preniel so to an extent it does look as though uh, his big spending owners who've uh, who've had a return for their big spending thus far are very likely to get uh, get a further return here en route uh, to Doncaster in the middle of um, September. Well, those of you in further flung parts of the world who might not be familiar with uh, Copper Knight, I want to make you more familiar with him. Most listeners will know who he is. He is a diminutive but incredibly hardy sprinter who holds the all-time record for wins at York Racecourse. It now stands at seven which if you consider relative to some other parts of the globe how few fixtures there are is pretty remarkable he overtook Stradivarius for example with whom he was joint leader for a long time and uh, Comanche Falls likewise so he now goes for win number eight uh, in Wednesday's five and a half along Symphony Group handicap Uh, Tom Denham is one of the many lucky owners to have been associated with him for much of that journey Tom, just try and describe the pleasure you've had from Copper Knight and your family as well because you're, you're, you're all involved. Yeah, it's been a real family affair, really. Um, we've sort of been with him all the way through since he joined Tim. Um, and it's just been a real roller coaster, to be honest. I mean, um, you know, we're, we're, only, we're only small owners. We only, we only take a few shares in horses. Dad, my dad and granddad are quite big in a, a few syndicates. Um and 
you know, just to have a horse that's won seven times at York is just amazing, really. So tell me how you all got involved with him in in the first place. What what brought about the Denham Copper Knight alliance? Um, well, we we we've known Tim for quite a while. So t- Tim used to be who trains the horse, Tim yeah, Eastby, yeah. Um, and rather, it was just a quite strange, really. I'd, I'd seen Copper on on debut when he was with Hugo Palmer, uh, and sort of put him in the notebook as one to follow. Um, and, and kind of lost track of him a little bit. He went, he went after the horse and trading sale. Um, and then we were on our way to Ripon one day, uh, me and my dad and my granddad, um, looking through the card and just noticed that he was turning up for, for Tim Easterby all of a sudden. So um, I think he finished second that day for Tim. And right now there, we sort of struck a deal with Tim to, to get, him, uh, get on board with him. And so there you are. You left Ripon with, with all three of you with with shares in this horse that you'd been following since he was with his, his previous trainer. I mean, could you possibly have imagined what, what he'd go on to do? Particularly as everybody thought he was so small that he couldn't he couldn't train on and do any better. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, Tim, I tell you yourself, um, he was he sort of when he came in, uh, Rachel Richardson was still there and. Uh, she had a big part in sort of settling him down and um, <clears throat> I think coming up to Yorkshire from the sort of madness of Newmarket did him quite quite well and uh, yeah, it's it's hard to really imagine the sort of journey we've been on with him. And I, I know we, we say it a lot, but it, it bears repeating. What level of, of joy have you had from the fact it's at York, at, at the, you know, the premier race course in, in the north of England, one of the great race courses in, in the world now? Well, we're, we're, we're a proud Yorkshire family and honestly having winners at York means the absolute world to us. Um, we chat to so many other friends and things and it, it's, you know, they, they say it's their dream to have a winner at York and you have to kind of pinch yourself sometimes and you, you think that you've got, you're involved with a horse that's won seven times there. It just, you know, it never never ceases to be uh, such an amazing experience, really. And obviously, one of the joys of, of racing is how closely it, it binds friends and, and family together. Is that is that the case here with, with you and your and your dad and, and granddad? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was my granddad that sort of started in racing. He, um, you know, he, he followed it as he, from when he was a young lad and, uh, you know, kind of brought the rest of the family into it. And, yeah, we sort of Copper Knight's been that, that kind of um, horse that really brought the rest of the family into it. And we have so many amazing days with him. And, yeah, and now I, I work at Tim's as well, so I, I get to see him every day. And it's just... Yeah, just really special. Uh, can he win tomorrow? Absolutely. <laughs> he always can. Do you think he will? He's always got a chance at York. He's always got a chance. Yeah, I mean, you've looked at the race pretty closely. It, there's not too many surprises in there, put it that way, are there? No, he seems to face a sort of similar bunch every time he, he turns up. So, you know, it'll be... Uh, he'll do what he does. He'll, he'll break from the stalls quickly. He'll... Try and uh, run the run the run it out of them, I suppose. Well, uh, I wish you all the best, Tom. It's been a great story. Thanks so much for sparing a bit of time for me this morning. Uh, thanks for having me on, Nick. Thank you. Well, yesterday we had the five-day confirmation stage for the uh, Skybet Ebor itself, and the the big news was that favourite Sweet William, who was so impressive at Goodwood, was guaranteed a run. I mean, he will be a heavy favourite 
Cornelius. Can you see any reason why he might not be appealing to punters or or not? Lack, lack of experience, you could, you know, you're, you're sort of picking holes, aren't you? But, you know, what's this, his seventh race, um, Sweet William, yet another fine graduate of Philippa Cooper's um, Normandy stud. The, the fact is, though, you've got a big field. There's a lot of hurly-burly. There are, even at York, a certain amount of hard luck stories. So you're going to slightly hold your breath on that front if you're plunging on Sweet William. The other one that um, caught my eye, uh, Scampy, um, and uh, successful the other day with Safi Osborne uh, riding. I see Safi Osborne is once again jocked up to ride this horse trained by Andrew Balding after their heroics at uh, Ascot on Shergar Cup Day. Every year there are one or two jockeys who are well known, but you feel are further emerging. Uh, and this year the two, to my mind, are Ross Ryan um, in particular, who's got lots of good opportunities uh, at York, including... Uh, artistic star uh, in the Great Voltager. But but Safi Osborne is definitely another rider who's been around a bit and has done well in the past, but has really emerged uh, uh, during this year. And there's another really, I think, significant opportunity uh, for her riding Scampi. And the other thing uh, about this race is that the winner uh, is ballot exempt for the Lexus Melbourne Cup on the 7th of November. Uh, Sweet William, I mean, even even if even if he were to win this, and even if he were entered in the Melbourne Cup, which he's not, he wouldn't be able to go because he's got seven screws in in one leg, as Philip Cooper was telling us the other day. So he wouldn't he wouldn't pass the requisite tests. However, it is shaping up as though there are going to be a few more interesting Europeans in the race than perhaps we might have anticipated. We know about Vauban. We know that now, as I mentioned on the podcast the other day, Aidan O'Brien is pointing Tower of London that way, which might explain why Continuous is in the Great Voltager en route to the, the St. Ledger. Um, we've also got the big news that Lee Mottis had broken the racing post at the weekend, that the King and Queen's horse, uh, Desert Hero, who was so impressive at, at Goodwood, it might well be headed that way beyond a, a ledger run. So that that is going to create a, a biggish stir, I would think. How significant do you think that is? And, and does it surprise you that they're going that way? Can I start by by commending the interview that William and Maureen Haggis gave to Lee Mottershead in the Racing Post on Sunday? It's a it's a really good read. Plenty of good Haggisisms uh, in their observations on things like yeah, I think there's a beard observation. Uh, you can tell he's a Prescott, uh, a graduate of the Samart Prescott. Well, there's a shaving observation. Uh, you can tell he's a graduate of the Samart Prescott Academy. But um, in the in this interview. Uh, he says that, uh, yeah, that's the plan with Desert Hero. He's a genuine entry. Uh, in fact, Her Late Majesty the Queen did have a runner in the in the Melbourne Cup in the 1990s, Arabian story. But it would add an absolutely fabulous extra dimension to the flat racing year and to the Melbourne Cup. plan is to, to get, assuming everything goes okay in the St. Ledger, to get quarantine sorted out uh, after uh, Doncaster. Clearly, the, the Australians know all about uh, William Haggis, because in the Queen Elizabeth uh, stakes at Ramwick, uh, since the Winx era, it's been the Haggis era with Adib and, and Dubai Honor, who could be going back in the future. And um, yeah, the Australians, I think, looking forward to uh, to seeing him. And William Haggis demonstrating in that interview what an internationalist he is, often thinking about uh, you know what is on offer uh, in, um, in, in Australia. What do they call him? Aussie Tom. They call Tom Mark one, don't they? It could be Aussie William. I'm not sure that has quite the same ring. 
Right, well, when we connect with, with York at the moment, we're getting a, a palpable sense of excitement from the team. You heard from James Brennan yesterday, welcoming in today, uh, Amy Swales, Marketing and Sponsorship Manager. Uh, Amy, just how's the how's the vibe about the place with, with just a day to go until until the gates open? Yeah, there is lots of excitement here. We've got many of the team already in and we're just short of eight o'clock in the morning. Um, it is um much excitement, but we definitely won't waste today. So we're looking forward to welcoming people tomorrow, eleven o'clock. But we um definitely a few more things to tick off the list today, Nick. And and today, in terms of ticking things off our list, we need to concentrate on two really important um community endeavors that you're you're applying yourself to. Uh, let's talk about the eball community sweepstake first of all, and how that's that's going to help people uh, in relation to Saturday's big race. Yeah, so we have the Skyber Ebor Community Sweepstake, and we cannot wait for this. We have got 22 charities that are very excited. So they applied um, a couple of months ago to become charities, and what happens is they are nominated at the Skyber Ebor draw, which takes place um, at 11.30 on Thursday, and they will find out then what horses they have. So they will each have a stall. And then when we have the draw and they find out what horses they have, they'll be racing um, on the Navesmire on um, on Saturday with um, £20,000 will go to the winner. Um, and then there'll be £5,000 for the second. And then there'll be £2,000 for the third. So we've got some great charities that have been nominated for this fund. Um, two of the ones that stand out for me are library of things and open country so library of things basically they have a library of things that people use infrequently and people can go and borrow those things from the library rather than having to buy them so it saved people over two hundred thousand pounds since it opened and more importantly to us 200 tons of co2 has not gone into the environment because people have been reusing rather than throwing away so that's one to look out for and another one is open country so they enable people with disabilities or ill mental health to access the open countryside. And we all know how great the Yorkshire countryside is. So um, another fantastic charity. So they're to look out for on Thursday. There'll be much excitement for them to see what horses they get for the Skybet Ebor on the Saturday. Amy, you touched there on carbon emissions, which leads us neatly on to, to Green Navesmire 300. I spoke quite extensively earlier in the year to William Darby, your chief executive, about York's Excellent record on sustainability, but the need to to do more. Tell me a bit more about Green Navesmire. Exactly. So Green Navesmire 300 is that recognition that now we have to ensure that everything we do with sustainability is at the heart of what we do for everything at your race course. So, um, for instance, we've made some... um, punchy statements so we want to be net zero by 2040 and we've already had a 51 percent reduction in our carbon footprints in 2017 but we want to keep going we want to enhance our biodiversity conserve water and embrace that circular economy so these are all key things that we want to do and since 2018 we've reduced our gas consumption by 80 percent and our electricity by 35 percent but we recognize that it's a journey we need to keep going on um, so, for instance, at the Skyber Ebor Festival, we've got eight new electric vehicle charging points for people. We've changed all our company cars to electric. We've got an electric gator on course for the first time for the grounds team. And we're looking at um, when we do our southern end development, which we've just gone for planning for planning for. And um, we're looking at rainwater harvesting.
marketing for that, solar panels and green roofs. So basically everything we do now at York Racecourse, every decision we make is based on the sustainability and whether it's the best thing we can do for the environment. So there's some big things we're doing there, Nick. But the things that I'm really impressed about with our team at the moment is that everyone's coming to me. It's something that I head up at the racecourse. So Green Lays Mile 300 is one of my passions. But it's people like the head of operations coming to me and saying, We've got ponchos and they're made of um, single-use plastic, but actually I can get some biodegradable ones. Shall we get those? I've got finance coming to me saying, we use these wristbands, but I think we can get ones that are recycled. I've got people in facilities coming and saying, we use these single-use washcloths every race meeting. What about laundering them? And then a stable side, they're saying, we're using so much single-use plastic. Let's get uh, the bigger bottles so we can reuse. So it's all those little things. And I think... One thing I'm most proud of in the team is that they have all come together and it's something that we're going to be um, on a journey to um, everyone together. It is interesting, isn't it? I I took my kids to a water park yesterday and they had all the the plastic wristbands, you know, the ones that are impossible to get off. Yes. Um, And if you're little, sometimes impossible to get on as well. And my (laughs) daughter who's 13 tomorrow said to me, why are they using these? It's all plastic and it all gets gets thrown away. And of course, it's something I would never have thought of, really. Uh, And it, 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 it definitely... That kind of consciousness and awareness is definitely filtering down to a to a younger generation more more readily than it than it is to to mine, or which I, I guess is in, encouraging for a start. Yes, so that, definitely. Does that, does, does, you know, as a as a mum of young kids, does that does that sort of give you hope? Really, that we're getting we're getting it slowly but surely. Definitely, my little boy is five, and he has been taught um, about Greta Thunberg and David Attenborough already at school. And we went to Italy um, earlier in the year, and I had to talk to him about. Um, going on a plane because he didn't want to go on a plane because he said that it, it, it harms the environment. So I had to talk about how we may go on a plane once a year rather than going on twice a year. And Yeah, so it was an interesting conversation to have with a five-year-old, Nick. Yeah, I, I'm, I, unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to have to cop that lecture just about every week at the moment. But um, <laughs> but there we are. Amy, thank you very much. Uh, and, and best of luck doing great work for your race course. Thank you so much, Nick. All right, it is Tuesday, and as we always do on this podcast, we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherbees. And this section today is brought to you by the uh, Stallion book and, of course, their Global Stallion app. And you need to be reminded that entries are now being taken for the next edition. And on said app, you will find uh, all the Dali Stallions, particularly those uh, on the US roster that we're focusing on today as we check in uh, at John Abel. Uh, the Dali HQ in Kentucky with Darren Fox, who's who's with me now. And and Darren, for those who who don't know you, it's probably w- worth I- introducing yourself. And and people will be particularly interested that this being the twentieth year of the Dali Flying Start, you were one of the well, not the first, but you were one of the the early graduates. Yes. Hi, Nick. Thank you, first of all, for for having me on. Um, Yes, I graduated uh, in uh, the fifth intake, so graduated in two thousand nine. So. Very fortunate to be part of that experience, which certainly changed the trajectory of my career. So, um, you know, eternally grateful for the opportunity. And who might we know who were your your um, comrades on that on that intake? Yes, for sure. So, Carl Beale of the Irish National Stud, um, Mick Flanagan uh, with Coolmore, uh, James McHale, um, who works for uh, for Weatherby's. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. So it's, a, it's a good, good, strong bloodstock group isn't it yeah it is yeah uh, young up-and-coming trainer in australia liam howley andy williams uh who is gone out on his own as an agent in australia so 
definitely um you know a, a good group and it's a um, you know a great a great network and, and a great group to be a part of tell me a little bit about the the history of of, of john abel and how it came to be part of the the dali empire yeah so john abel was established by the bell family in uh, the mid 50s um obviously had a, a long and a storied career as a, as a as a nursery and as a stud firm uh, in its own right um, a firm finished out his 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 career here as a stallion, obviously Holy Bull, um, you know Cherokee Run. They have a long list. Uh, uh, Old Trieste is another really good stallion who, who stood here for for a while. But um, obviously a long and storied past uh, of its own. Uh, and then Sheikh Mohammed purchased it in two thousand and one. Um, spent close to two years redeveloping, and we opened doors in the fall of two thousand and two for the two thousand and three breeding season yeah. so this is our 20th year um uh darley or godolphin at john Abel. it's its 20th year in operations so um we've had a lot of a lot of success and uh, yeah. a, a lot of a lot of fun here during that time yeah and a lot's happened in actually relatively short space of time i i, I know that during this segment you know stallion masters are, are always uh, keen to uh, promote new stallions you know, the, the sort of fresh horses that people are going to be interested in but i looked down your roster and i thought if ever there was a horse who hadn't had the column inches that he deserved, it's Medaliadoro. Year after year after year, he just churns out good horses metronomically. I, I, do you think he's a little bit sort of under undervalued when we talk about great stallions? You know, he's been good to an awful lot of people, not just us. Um, you know, I think I think he was a, a tick unlucky in his own racing career. Like he's, he obviously won uh, the Travers at three, uh, the Whitney at four, and the Don at five. Second in two Breeders' Cup Classics and second in the Dubai World Cup. But you know, the, the, the sheer prowess of his own race record. You know, he was first or second in. 15 of a 17 lifetime starts but he he ran triple digit buyers in 14 of 17 lifetime starts up to a high of 120 so you know just just really an incredible racehorse himself but look he's sired 26 grade one mm. winners lifetime he's been good in two hemispheres which is hard to do um you know he sired five grade one winners in the southern hemisphere you know uh you know stern vancouver uh, who won the slipper um so he's done very well uh in australia which 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 is not easy mm. to do but um just like the, the likes of songbird the likes of rachel alexandra who is my favorite racehorse of all time obviously golden 60 highlights is is again is international flair and and, and he's done well in europe yeah. as well so he's really been you know it, it's an amazing he's an amazing case study obviously from you know uh, the El Prado Saddler's Wells sire line uh, from a fairly workmanlike American dirt uh, pedigree over here. His broodmare sire is Bell Jumper, but he was just so good on dirt. Um, they never, it was never a second thought to try anything else. Mm. But fifty percent of his greatest stakes winners are on turf, so he's just really a unique, versatile horse. Um, who has gotten some elite horses in all parts of the world. Absolutely, and he himself by the champion sire El Prado, who was that rare beast who was a, a, a dirt champion sire, who was by saddle as well. So it, it figures that Medaliadoro did what he did, but I wanted to uh, give a nod to him first of all. You had this extraordinary position where you had all these good horses retiring roughly at the same time. I'm talking about Essential Quality uh, and Maxfield and Mystic Guide and Speaker's Corner. And I mean, I had a real soft spot for Maxfield as a, as a physical specimen, even though he didn't have the best of luck potentially through his career. How's he gone down with breeders? 
Very, very well. It's funny you say that. He he is an absolute Adonis. Um, you know, gorgeous specimen, as you alluded to. Um, look, he's been very, very popular. Uh, retired uh, last year was his first year at Stud. Retired at 40,000, making him the, the, the third most expensive freshman of a sour crop. And look, his two-year-old performance in the in, in the Breeders' Futurity at Keeneland in his second start um, was just jaw-dropping. You know, he was out the back early on he came with this sweeping move a lot a lot of people called it an arazi like performance and i don't throw that saying out lightly um but just the way he he, he inhaled the field and drew off to win by by about five and a half lengths you know it was impressive but it was even more impressive when you saw the physique like he is 16 three and a half he was a big unfurnished two-year-old at the time so we were definitely you know dreaming as to what this horse can do when he fills into that frame and he certainly did disappoint obviously you know he rattled off five wins at Churchill his maiden and four graded stakes and culminated in with a victory in the grade one Clark and virtually bookended his career with with two grade one wins so um you know a, a highly sought after horse with an amazing physique from a, with a real stallion's pedigree mm-hmm. himself his dam is a, a three-part sister to sky mesa you've bernstein back in there a real old uh you know harborview family so um he's certainly one that we're excited about going forward yeah and when you get all these horses all the ones i mentioned sort of all retiring roughly at the same time and they're all horses who you know are milers or mile and a quarter horses that sort of thing on roughly the same surface they've all got lovely pedigrees um can you can you intuit fairly on which ones are going down best with the the breeders, or or have you been taken by surprise? Generally, we have a pretty good handle. You know, the good the good news is a lot of these horses do a lot um, do a lot of talking for us on the racetrack. I will say, Maxfield he he raced. You know, he he raced five times at Churchill. He raced twice at Keeneland. He raced when he raced at Saratoga. It was during the Saratoga sale mm-hmm. when the entire population of Lexington is up there. So he raced a lot of times under under all our clientele's um, you know noses. So he he had a little bit of a a cult following um, you know heading into uh, the, the stud barn. But like you know essential quality, like you mentioned, Speaker's Corner. Those horses you have a pretty good handle as to what their level of popularity will be just by assessing their race record their physique their pedigree like anyone else would but certainly the early indicators and our clients reaching out to us in kind of the early fall um it's certainly we get a pretty good read on it and then you've got what i'd I'd call the good old boys um street sense and hard spun two two of an amazing crop uh that 2007 uh, sophomore crop was a was a wonderful group of horses you couldn't quite get your hands on curling but you got the next best thing (laughs) <laughs> really was that that crop is amazing like you you know scott daddy was in that crop um, um you know rags to riches she won the bell one that year so look it was amazing you know with hardspun he's a unique horse who you won't see his profile of race record that often and what i mean is he was really an elite sprinter he beat um he beat the sprinters going seven furlongs in in the then king's bishop the now Alan jerkins but you had a, a seven furlong sprinter who ran second in the derby third in the preakness fourth in the belmont going a mile and a half he did run second in the haskell and then he finished second in the breeders cup classic to curlin all while getting on the lead playing catch me if you can using his you know immense speed that he had and through sheer heart and tenacity he almost got home in so many of those races and that's the one thing he passes on in spades is heart and tenacity so he's managed to put three really nice stallion sons that stood the last three years in at leading farms here in kentucky so it's an exciting time for him as a a sire sires and they are silver state uh spun to run and aloha west so you know exciting time for him 
And similarly, Street Sense, you know, he's the first horse to win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, which he did by 10, and then add uh, the Kentucky Derby. That double has only been done twice uh, by Nyquist as well. So yeah. a rare double to, 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 to pull off. But he's certainly been an excellent stallion verse as well. He's our 12 grade one winners. We have two of his sons that stood in the last two years in Maxfield and Speaker's Corner. You know, so it's it's an exciting time um, for both of those stallions as Cyrus Cyrus, you know, as they certainly, um, you know, have have, it, have achieved plenty. But it's that next chapter that we're really excited about. And Darren, from, from your perspective, from your own perspective, you're from, from Ross Common. Um, you did the you did you did the flying start, but you're a you're an Irishman. You went to the University of Limerick. Um, how much of you is still at home in your in your heart, or, or do you do you see yourself now as a Kentuckian? Look, um, it's a great question. Uh, the, Lexington, Kentucky, is the closest that I've found to Ireland without being in Ireland. Um, the the countryside, you know, there's a obviously a strong group of, of, of expats here from, from all over the world, especially Ireland, but there is that, that sense of home without being at home, but there's no doubt about it that, you know, your heart is always at home. All my family is back there. A lot, a lot of really good friends, you know, still stay tuned into the bloodstock industry and the racing back there through friends. Um, so, you know, it, 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 we try and get back once a year. Um, I've got, you know, Two, two small kids and we make an annual trip back so they can spend time with my extended family but you know home is always home but uh, if you're trying to pick a, se- a second home Lexington is certainly uh, n- not a bad place Darren thanks for talking to me today I appreciate it Nick thank you very much alright thanks to Darren thanks to all my guests today Cornelius is still with me eagerly anticipating the York Ebor Festival and he has a tip for you yeah it's worth pointing out because um uh, it has been discussed quite a lot that there is no flat racing uh, in Britain today. It's an agreed day of no flat racing to support participant welfare. That's the technical term for the British Horse Racing Authority. Having days like this has been something that the Professional Jockeys Association have uh, long advocated. And uh, that was agreed when they um, when they did the fixture list for this year. So in Britain today, there are actually only two race meetings, one in the afternoon and one in the evening. Uh, both are of the national hunt variety, which will stagger plenty of people for the 22nd of August. Uh, I'm going to give you um, something to look out for at Worcester, the evening meeting at Worcester in the six o'clock race. Last year's winner, the 13 year old. Well, he was 12 then, 13 now um, is Peregrine Run. He was keeping on when third at Galway the other day. He's been brought from Ireland by Peter Fahey, Keith Donoghue on board and runs off the same markers when winning at Chepstow on a, another British trip last autumn. And he's trying to win that race at Worcester, the six o'clock for the second year running. Just a final thought about at York after the, the, the rain-soaked Goodwood. It looks certainly at the moment as though it's going to be proper high summer ground at York, certainly for the opening couple of days. I think the, the report I saw today, uh, first thing was good to firm, good in places and they're drying out. Uh, unsurprisingly the report added no irrigation required in august and it'll give plenty of opportunities to some horses that perhaps have been unlucky in terms of ground over the last six weeks or so and with that in mind in the first race of the meeting can't wait to see equilateral in action equilateral former high class horse still pretty good could he um, make hay and handicap company over five and a half furlongs tomorrow when we will be back from the Knavesmire. Thank you for your company. Thank you, Cornelius. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you again. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.